is Upfront on the Voice of America. I'm Jackson Vungani in Washington. Thank you so much for joining us today. On the show this week, we speak to the organizers of the Nairobi Design Week, which is an annual festival that takes place in Kenya's capital, Nairobi. The festival highlights the works of local and international designers. Um, every year we have a theme that we look at, and for this year we're looking at the theme, it's what we make it. So we pick a theme that relates to us, to the community, and then we work together with the community to make um, a showcase, experiences, and uh, workshops um, that are educational to people, and just like experiential during the festival. That is Naitiemu. She's an artist and festival lead at the Nairobi Design Week, and she joins me together with festival director and founder Adrian Jankowicz. We are also joined by Chuma Anagbado, the creator of the flagship exhibit at the festival. And right here in the Washington, D.C. area, two young Ghanaian-American publishers join me to talk about their print newspaper known as The Voice of Africa, whose mission is to amplify African voices and create connections among the African diaspora. You know, this is a passion that we have, and we do want to be able to, you know, amplify the voices of African Africans. We've had, you know, very interesting experiences. You know, I grew up in an all-white, you know, high school, um, all-white, you know, beginning of college, you know, as well, too. So just being able to change the narrative, you know, is kind of the goal. That is Kadmil van der Puyer, the publisher of The Voice of Africa, a free bi-weekly newspaper distributed in the Washington, D.C. region. But first, let's hear your opinions. March is International Women's Month, and we asked you to tell us about the role of women in your life and in your community. My name is uh, Pio Kevin, and I'm a South Sudanese. The woman I can talk about is my mother, because she's been there for me from day one of my childhood up to now. She's been fighting for me so much. Because remember, sometimes back I was being forced to go for early marriage, but she stood there for me and she's like, no, my daughter has to go to school. She understood my right and she pushed with me. And if you look at the majority of the South Sudanese at the moment, the mothers are the ones who are standing strong for their children. You know, things to do with feeding at home, everything. A man can just give man at home, but, you know, maybe we'll give for something else, but the woman knows that it's the right for my children to eat. What I would actually want to emphasize is that our government... Uh, should prioritize uh, maybe girls' education if they want a change, a bigger change. Because some of the things are actually, uh, I mean, they are made worse because of lack of education for girls. My name is Alam Noel. I am a South Sudanese. Women in this country are trying so hard uh, to fight uh, these uh, issues of being uh, self-independent. In South Sudan here, women... uh, uh, open up small businesses like maybe tea cells. They're doing it to earn a living, yes, and also support themselves and their families. Many thanks to all of you for your opinions. This is Upfront on the Voice of America. I'm Jackson Vungani. The Nairobi Design Week is underway in Kenya's capital, Nairobi. The annual festival, which started in 2015, provides a platform for local and regional artists to highlight and showcase their work. The festival also helps amplify the diversity and creativity of emerging artists while connecting them to industry professionals. And this year's flagship exhibit at the Nairobi Design Week is an art project created by Nigerian artist Chuma Anagbado. The art installation titled Tracing the Wild 
is a collaboration between the Kenya Wildlife Trust and the Sovereign Nature Initiative. For the project, Chuma uses digital and physical data to visualize lions moving across the Masai Mara ecosystem. And joining me via phone from Nairobi is Naitiemu, Adrian Jankowik, and Chuma Anagbado. And I started off by asking them about this year's theme for Nairobi Design Week. Um, every year we have a theme that we look at, and for this year we're looking at the theme, it's what we make it. So we pick a theme that relates to us, to the community, and then we work together with the community to make um, a showcase, experiences, and uh, workshops um, that are educational to people, and just like experiential during the festival. So for the theme this year, it's what we make it. Um, as the name speaks for itself, it's all about making, it's all about making the best of what's available to us through nature, through culture. And I wanted to ask you, I guess you touched a little bit upon this, but what are some of the projects this year that you're excited to showcase? So we're partnering with British Council again this year. We have a podcast called Africa Design, Africa with a K. And we host uh, we host conversations around the continent, actually, is very often done online, sometimes in person. And it's all about discovering stories from around the continent. One of our favorite questions is, what's the meaning of your name? Because we get to hear stories about the reasons and that. the history I love that. <laughs> of, of people's names. Yeah. yeah. And actually, during the festival, we're going to set up a installation for Africa Design, where you're going to be able to come and share the stories behind your names and leave messages to listeners and just have this sharing community um, uh, space during and the that, festival. And that's a partnership with uh, SSA Arts, British Council, as part of the Shifting Narratives uh, program. Mm. And, uh, Kampala Design Week. And, and Kampala Design Week as well. We like to partner with Design Weeks in Africa as well. Yeah. Awesome. And that, we're going to have bamboo insulation. Yeah, bamboo. Too. There's a six meter diameter dome that's already there at the site, built by, uh, in partnership with Inbar and Kefri, and built by designers we've selected with Band Studio as well. And lots of installations like Kairos Futura are building a Nairobi space station to mm. give us a look into an alternative future around sustainability. Absolutely. Mm. And we're going to have loads of workshops because we intend, uh, we're going to have a space called the Baraza. It's basically going to be a conference. Like a Baraza in, 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 in Swahili. Exactly. Let's move ahead and talk about this uh, collaboration between the Sovereign Nature Initiative uh, and the Kenya Wildlife Trust on this data-driven art project, uh, Tracing the Wild. Why is it important to highlight among other things, this this concept of uh, a human-wildlife conflict. Yeah, really good point. So as I mentioned, I came to Kenya as a human-centered designer, and human-centered design is very good at helping humans. Now, we exist in an ecosystem and a planet with many other life forms, and we need to respect that and learn how to work together with those life forms. So for us, it's all about life-centered design. And working with Sovereign Nature and, and all these amazing artists like Chuma uh, allows us to explore how we can do that and, you know, prototype what we might be doing in future as well. Yeah, and definitely a big part of it is around storytelling and working with the community also. And and Chuma, when, when you were commissioned to work on this project, what was this a subject matter that you had previously explored in your work? Um, yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I, mean, I, I come from a culture where... Um, the lion is um, venerated and um, all uh, forms of um, achievements in life, it's like likened to being a lion, uh, right? 
So for me, that 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 was the connection. But more importantly, it's actually the um, the lending that the, the title itself lent to my work as an artist. Uh, I'm an artist that does works with um, create basically line art digitally, and um, I'm experimenting at that uh, intersection between um, the physical existence and the digital existence of um, art, as is the case, and trying to offer both of them as one piece. And, and I think I particularly like the the uh, wildlife protection, the the whole conservation part of it, because mm. I've been thinking of um, a project uh, where I'd, I'd give back to uh, the society, um, or rather, like use art for good. I'm very much big on using art uh, and technology for social impact. So this is just like like a match made in heaven for me. Mm-hmm. And so, talk to us about the the sculpture itself. Well, what are some of uh, the design techniques that you use and, and what messages do they convey? How are, for example, the data points reflected on the sculpture? Um, yeah, so this is, this is, this is a really nice one. Um, so when I saw the lines, uh, the lion collar, collar data lines and, uh, the human interaction, uh, and that seemed the conflict points. Um, one challenge for me was how I would be able to represent that in my style of work, which is already, uh, which already makes use of lots of lines. Uh, but somehow I was able to find that synergy. Um, I like that visually the, the patterns actually tell a story. And what I've been able to do is now to merge that with my own, um, traditional art style, which is also very much, uh, linear, makes use of lines and curves, right? Um, to then create uh, compositions that then showcase these lions uh, in terms of their portraits coming out of the um, human um, footprints in the Maasai Mara. And I think for me, having that geographic location with uh, information gotten from one geography um, to show how we as humans interact with um, animals by separating where they exist and where we exist and where we have conflicts. It, it kind of brings the issue of their existence, like I said, um, to, to the fore. And I, I'm also from a country where there's not much wildlife. Um, so, I mean, I, I mean, I saw. I was going to ask, I was going to ask you, are there lions in, in, <laughs> where you Yeah. So, I mean, I've seen lions in captivity growing up, yeah. but I've seen lions in, in um and the wild just roaming free the way they are supposed to be as created by God is something that is kind of eye opening for me. Mm. Um, so it was just like natural and easy that I could just combine all of that to create this um what I call monumental and something that has then pushed me into a new space in my art um, as someone that is experimenting at that. Um, finding the digitality of things, as I would call it. In case you're just joining us, this is Upfront on the Voice of America. I'm Jackson Vungani, and joining me via phone from Nairobi to talk about the Nairobi Design Week is Kenyan artist Naitiemo, a festival lead at the Nairobi Design Week, also director and founder of the Nairobi Design Week, Adrian Jankowik. We're also joined by Nigerian artist Chuma Anakbado, the creator of the flagship project at the Design Week. His art installation shows the movement of lions across the Masai Mara.
and how long it took for you to, to create your project? I have some interesting statistics behind my work. Um, I had something like about six thousand six one point two million lines. Um, wow. Um, so yeah, my it, it it takes uh the longest time in creating my work would be the machine time um, because I do draw lots of lines and um interpreting that into computer um vectors and, and then cutting out. Um, so you're gonna hear things like. Uh, I have 1.2 million lines on the third piece on tracing the wild art on one of the pieces, about 1.2 million lines cutting for about 18 to 24 hours. Mm. And that's on the machine. Uh, the drawing itself will take about a day or two, um, using all that data that I got to then create that drawing that a child lion from it. Um, so give or take, I mean, also coming up with the inspiration takes some bit of a time. So I'd say each piece would probably take me like, a month or so, um, but I can create more than one at the same time, like side by side, one parallel. Um, so yeah, like time is is really of an essence. The mm. painting itself is very therapeutic, like I always say, because it's not just swiping the brush. It's like intentional um, dots by dots drop of colors, right? So for me, it's also very very meditative. I get into that state where I kind of from start feeling what these lions are feeling or what the subject of my work is is feeling so mm. it's that very attached um and connected to my work that i create uh adrian and uh and Tim, i wanted to ask you about the the design week itself first of all is this the first time you're doing it uh post-covid i mean is there are we even in post-covid yet because i know most of these outdoor art experiences in the last you know two three years have not uh, been happening uh is is this the first time you're holding it since 2020 is it did it happen last year talk to us about just the timing of it well um this is the second time after covid because we had uh actually what happened in 2020 is that when we were doing our nairobi design with 2020 we had the, the last day was actually the day everything closed so that day we were actually doing a music video and mm-hmm. ended up doing a smaller crew, but it turned out great anyway. It's called Labeled Human. So that was our, you know, 2020. And then 2021, because of COVID, we had to re-strategize and kind of try and look how can we still reach the community using available resources. So we did it completely online. So it's a two-hour, um, it's on our YouTube. You can check it out. And we focus on the creatives. We had it like a pre, um, pre-shot uh, beforehand and then put it out in the community where we're sharing processes mm. and stories from the uh, creatives. And then for last year now, that's when we opened up for after COVID, mm-hmm. where same location, except now it was called Kazuri Bids and now it's called Opportunity Factory. Right. Yeah. Now, are the designers primarily Kenyan? Are there collaborations with other African artists? For sure. We, we definitely have a focus on Kenya specifically and, of course, East Africa. We've welcomed designers from all over the world. And we'd like to also make sure that when we run programs, designers from Africa get the opportunity to move as well. So it's not just about bringing people in, though we do like to bring in experts and special expertise. And for example, we have Chuma here as well. We've had over 70 applicants for the physical open call, about the same number for the digital open call. There's roughly 50 plus 
um, physical exhibitors and about the same digital to see during the festival. Uh, so there's a lot of vendors, so there's stuff to buy, but also it's it's really about experiences. We at Nairobi Design, we pride ourselves now really about uh, creating unconventional experiences that are unfor- unforgettable. And that's what that's um, where we've really been happy to work with a lot of uh, different designers like Ardi Nambao, um, like Wakyanda, who is bringing her more Milano exhibition in partnership with Gotha Institute. Kibera Fashion Week are bringing five of their own makers from Kibra. And they're, they're making all sorts of stuff like Victoria's Crafts, uh, Denny yeah. Makeup. Graffiti Girls. Graffiti Girls, yeah. Um, yeah, a lot of makers from actually also Newcomer from Newcomer are a platform that's African wide, it's all about promoting young African creatives, they have over 2,000 creatives and they're doing a really top notch job of doing that So, and they do a monthly micro fund as well, so get on that For people who are not able to attend uh, uh, physically, is there a virtual immersive experience online that you guys are creating, incorporating in this, uh, in the design week? So what we found coming out of COVID is we really want to focus on making both the digital and the physical experiences as good as they can be. Um, This year, we're not having any speakers or panelists dial in from Zoom. There are some pre-recorded things that work in tandem with the live speakers we have. Um, but we do do Twitter spaces. You can join us on Wednesdays on our Twitter spaces. We do Instagram lives during the festival. So if you head to our Instagram or our Twitter, you'll be able to find, you know, any others as well. You'll be able to find stuff happening all the time. Yeah. And of course, we'll be able to share a summary um, of the festival. Yeah. And, and everything actually is is based the, in the main hub, which is our website. So the festival page, posts about all of the makers etc so everyone who you can find at the festival will be listed on the festival page so you can click and find them and so on and do your own uh research into them as well so that's that's www.nairobi.design we were talking to the organizers of the nairobi design week kenyan artist naitiemu adrian jankowik and nigerian artist choma anagbado who is the creator of the flagship dynamic data-driven art project titled Tracing the Wild. March is Women's History Month, and there's no better time to celebrate the accomplishments of women. Tell us about the woman that left positive marks in your life. You can call us 24-7 on WhatsApp and leave a message. Dial the international code PLUS1, then 202-258-3076. VOA is always happy to hear your voice. Dial the international code plus one, then 202-258-3076. And we are back. This is Upfront on the Voice of America. I'm Jackson Vungani. The Washington, D.C. region is one of the most diverse areas in the world. It is also home to thousands of African immigrants whose numbers have increased significantly in the last decade. Now, like other immigrant groups, Africans are keen to maintain a connection to the continent while preserving their cultural identity and traditional values. And two young entrepreneurs, Kadmil and Kemuel Van der Puyer, both first-generation Ghanaian-Americans, say that one of the ways they maintain a connection to their African roots is by reading and consuming other aspects of African culture. 
Cadmiel and Kemuel are publishers of the news magazine Voice of Africa, which they distribute free of charge to African businesses and cultural centers here in the Washington, D.C. area. They join me in the studio to talk about their publishing business and some of the issues they cover in the newspaper Voice of Africa. Let's see, we started about 2016, about October 2016. My dad first, uh, he decided to do this completely out of pocket, and now it's paying for it. Now we reach a a standard where the paper is paying for itself. Mm -hmm. But as far as our coverage, we try to be as neutral as we can. We cover as much as we can on more pertinent issues in Africa, say, whether it be political or lifestyle, they're all in here. Mm -hmm. What, What is your goal with this newspaper? So the goal of the Voice of Africa is to amplify the voices of Africans and people in the diaspora as well. And in doing so, we want to be that neutral voice. You know, there's a lot of media publications out there, you know, who are being controlled by African governments. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as people in the diaspora hearing news, you know, from back home tends to be biased. You know, sometimes so so we do filtered want... through the lens of exactly. whoever is owning that media organization yes, back exactly. home. Yeah. So we want to be that, you know, that organization that, you know, guaranteed, you know, you're getting neutral and credible, you know, information from them. And uh, so it's, it's actually given out for free. If you can show yes. our our viewers, it says free right here. You distribute it free of charge. Um, how do you sustain a publication of, of this nature and quality when it's free of charge? How no. do you sustain that? No, thank you for touching on that. Um, you know, this is a passion you know that we do have, and you know it's, it's hard to sustain. Like you're saying, you know, the quality and everything, you know, is very top notch. And in order to sustain it, you need money. Um, but, you know, this is a passion that we have, and we do want to be able to, you know, amplify the voices of Africa and Africans. We've had, you know, very interesting experiences. You know, I grew up in an all-white, you know, high school, um, all-white, you know, beginning of college, you know, as well, too. So just being able to change the narrative, you know, is kind of the goal, and, you know, just lock down until we're able to do so. Mm. Like what are some of the things that go into publishing a newspaper of this nature? Oh, man, driving maybe three hours away to pick up the papers and then driving all day trying to get these papers distributed to our locations. But one thing that we do know is that the people who do have um, these papers, they are very appreciative, appreciative of, the, of the paper. Mm. Like, as you said, the newspaper seems to be like a dying breed. But a lot of people like to have, it gives them a sense of like familiarity mm. or if they're coming in from Africa wherein they see newspapers, but they come to the U.S. and everything is digital. Let's talk about the D.C. area, the African community here. How would you describe the African diaspora community in the Washington, D.C. area? I describe the D.C. or the DMV area as the capital of Africa and the United States. You know, I feel as though people, a lot of, it's a big diaspora, Ethiopians, you know, and a very diverse you know, as well, too. And, you know, a lot of people are in the, you know, the government, you know, news industry. So people do, you know, tend to care about, you know, the things that we put out. Mm. Definitely. And yeah. growing up in D.C., Kemal, how were you able to, to maintain that connection with the, with the African continent, with the African culture? I mean, look at you guys, uh, you know, showing off with your nice, beautiful threads. How were you able to, to maintain that link? Well, the D.C. area especially, it's a, an amalgamation of African culture. So there's always... Every like right around the corner, there's always some Ethiopian store or maybe some uh, Nigerian store where you can get your fufu and yeah, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you go see and stuff like that. But honestly, uh, our father, uh, you know, always tries to keep us grounded and rooted to our African uh, since we were kids. Since we were kids, mm-hmm. and so doing that, we've been able to. And that's is that through language, the, the language you speak at home, the food you eat, yes. the music you listen to. Yes, sir. Yeah. Exactly through through food, through language, through. Um, 
discipline. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. No yeah. It's not easy to stay focused and right. and and grounded uh, in in your culture in a place of this nature where you know there are so many. Uh, it's a very diverse city. Um, but uh, let's talk about your philanthropic work in Kenya, where you run a, a children's. Uh, uh, children's home called uh, Father's Heaven. Yes, sir. Right, and you're planning to expand that. Tell us a little bit about that. What what inspired you to get into philanthropy? Definitely. And what kind of work do you do with this home? Definitely. So, so for some background story. Uh, my dad is actually an orphan um, himself, and you know we have an orphanage now, and we, he's also a minister. And I think two or three years ago, mm. we had you know one of our ministers in Kenya reach out to us, letting us know, hey, you know, I'm currently in the house, but I'm having some difficulties. Mm-hmm. And then finding out what those difficulties were, he had you know at that point was 24 kids yeah. living at his house, and we kind of took it upon ourselves as a family. And like you know, background story, you know, my dad was an orphan, so he you know that that touched his heart. You know, so so we then took that upon ourselves, you know, try and figure out ways in which we can just make, you know, these kids' basic needs, you know, to be able to be met. Mm. And you know, last year we decided it's time to take it to the next level, take it to public, so that we, you know, we can give them you know, the lives that they deserve. Right. That was so. So yeah, we do plan to expand. You want to talk about, you know, where? Um, yeah, we initially our dad started in Ghana, but we're heading back there to um, open up another orphanage as well as in Uganda, right. I believe. Mm. Zambia. And, uh, Zambia, sorry. Yeah. Wow, that's so. amazing. Uh, great work. Um, now, again, in terms of the diaspora community here in Washington, D.C., lots of events uh, in the last couple of years to connect Africans here with the motherland. You're working on an event coming up soon. Tell us about it. Yeah, definitely. Thank you for touching on that. We are working on an event this year. It's called Experience Africa, and it is exactly what it says. We are giving people an experience of Africa you know, through food. We're going to have a food festival. We're going to have panel discussions. We're going to have a very good look at MC. Uh, you, you guys will find out who he is, you know, soon. It's a secret. <laughs> yeah, you can't tell them. But uh, yeah, so it's going to be, you know, giving people an experience. One thing we've realized from the past couple of years, we've gone to a lot of, you know, conferences and, you know, a lot of insightful conversations go on. But one thing we realize there's no experience, there's no takeaway. You know, after a couple of days, you kind of forget what you learned about, you know, at the conference. But we want to give people an experience. You know, mm. still have the panel discussions because they are very insightful. But add some food, add some fufu, some jollof, you know, right. your wache. Yeah. You know, so we're going to have a fashion show. In the fashion mm. show, we have a lady who actually styled the Black Panther who is going to be styling our models. So oh, it's, it's nice. definitely going to be a dope experience. I want to talk a little bit more about what it goes into publishing a newspaper of this nature. Aside from the editorial decisions of deciding which stories are going to make the headlines, what does it take to publish a newspaper of this nature? So I would say uh, it's money. Money, money everything that um, boils down to money at the mm. end of the day. Um, so, yeah, it costs you know, a decent amount of money to be able to print it. Uh, we print about 2,000 copies every two weeks and, you know, deliver. Every two weeks? Every two okay. weeks. So every two weeks, you know, what it takes, you know, we wake up, drive all the way from Maryland to Delaware, drive back, you know, to Maryland. Where your printer is. Yeah, the printer is in couple, Delaware. Your printer is a couple of hours away. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just to give <laughs> our drive. listeners and our viewers a, right. a little idea of where you live and yeah. where you actually pick it up from. Yeah. So you, 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 you take this, those two weeks is when you select the stories, yes, right? Yes, sir. And the stories obviously have this, the shelf life of, you know, they are evergreen stories that yes. still are meaningful and impactful stories. Who who does the editorial work? Is it your dad? Yeah, yes. so my dad, my brother, and I. Mm. And we are currently have a team of editorials as well right mm. now in Ghana, um, who are helping us. You know, who decide. Yeah. Is there a digital version to this? Yeah, yeah. So apart from that, we do have a newspaper, but we also have a digital. You know, multiple digital platforms. There is the e-newspaper on our platform on our website. We have a podcast. We have a YouTube channel. 
Um, we have a playlist as well, you know, for African music, and you know, we try to co- you know, cover as much content as possible, you know, to make sure that you know anyone that's interested in African culture, whether they're trying to read or watch a video, mm. you know, we'll be able to give them that experience. If a person was to come into Washington D.C. area visiting, what are some of the places? What are some of the things you want you'd want them to see to experience a little bit of Africa in the Washington D.C. area, aside from consuming maybe the news of the Voice of Africa? Yeah, well, definitely. Uh, you want to touch on the first one? I gotta say, I gotta give a shout out to Rohama Restaurant. Yeah. Rohama Restaurant is a place that you most definitely have. That's to. a Ghanaian restaurant. It's a Ghanaian restaurant. Yes. Yeah, most definitely. You know, you get authentic. I, you know, I know Ghanaian Rohama Restaurant. I, I knew Rohama Restaurant right. when they were still in the DC in in the downtown DC area. Right. Okay. Did they move to Virginia right now? They're actually in Virginia and yeah. Maryland. You know, as well too. Um, they're expanding into. Delaware. Okay. I'm pretty sure very shout soon. out to Rahama. Yeah, shout out to Rahama. Fellow Ghanaians. Yeah. Yeah. So as I came well aside mm-hmm. from food, what else is there that you know speaks to the Africanness of this city? Africanness of the city. I think right around the DC community center there's this there's like an Ethiopian haven, so to speak, and yeah. it's just full little of, Ethiopia, that's yeah, what it's called. Ethiopia, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it's just full of flavor, full of culture, full of uh, vibrance and, and, and music and, mm. and dance and I think that's where people should that was Cadmiel and Kemwell Vandapuye both publishers of the Voice of Africa newspaper and with that we come to the end of our show today many thanks to all of my guests and to all of you for tuning in remember to connect with us online at voaafrica.com we are also on social media at VOA Upfront and at VOA Africa Until next time, I'm Jackson Vungani in Washington wishing you a great week ahead, Africa. Tune in to VOA programs on your radio and on the internet. We bring you news about Africa and the world 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. News, talk shows, sports, music, everything you want to hear. Available on the radio and the web on The Voice of America. Find the VOA program guide at www.voanews.com.